to left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game. Hey, Brewers fans, uh, good morning, good afternoon. We are finally in August, and it is Sophia Minnert, Adam McKelvey, Tim Dillard, joining you for a trade deadline recap edition of Brewers Unfiltered. And uh, guys, we're finally into August. The trade deadline has officially passed uh, last night on Tuesday. The Brewers are now 58 and 50. They are half a game out of first place, trailing the Cincinnati Reds. And it was a pretty busy trade deadline period for Matt Arnold and the front office. And I think if you're a fan, they they checked a lot of boxes in terms of maybe fans were were hoping for. So it started with the acquisition of Carlos Santana from the Pittsburgh Pirates. That was before the Brewers hit the road to play Atlanta and uh, the Nationals. And then um, just within the last 48 hours, it's been acquiring Marcana, another great versatile piece for them, uh, getting him from the New York Mets, and then getting the lefty Andrew Chafin. So they add two bats, they add some versatility, they add a left-handed reliever. Um, they also have acquired two minor league prospects in Bradley Blaylock and Evan McKendry. So just looking at the major league pieces that you're adding with Carlos Santana, Mark Hanna, and Andrew Chafin. What do you guys think of of the moves that Matt Arnold and crew made? Well, I, I think uh, this is an example, Sophia, of how you are a kind person who thinks the best of people because, I mean, I'm sure there are fans who are happy the Brewers uh, addressed those areas. I think uh, most fans wanted Nolan Arenado and Cody Bellinger and Shohei Otani. And uh, anything short of acquiring that was probably going to leave some people disappointed. So um, these are moves that make the Brewers better in three areas. Uh, first base where they've not gotten a lot of production. And um, in, in the Carlos Santana move, they notably address the defense too, because in what is it? Five games we've seen like almost uh, we're jinxing them, but near perfect defense and just kind of gobbling up everything over at first base. Um, in the outfield, they get Mark Hanna, who's about league average, a little better than league average in a down year. So most years he's above a- league average, and and they feel like there are some batted ball stats that that signal he has a chance to be more productive uh, in the next two months than he was for the Mets in the first four months. And they get a good reliever um, to replace Justin Wilson, who had a terrible heartbreaking injury early on this trip. So, like, they got better in three spots, but they're sort of like, you know, they're a little bit better in three spots. And the trade deadline often is about, like, emotion and go for it and chips in and all of those concepts. So I hope fans are able to kind of look at it from a logical point of view of, like, what actually got done at the deadline across baseball and how the Brewers were able to make themselves um, better by striking on the deals that, that, you know, happened. And if you have questions, go to at Adam McAlvey at Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't and, and I look, I yeah, I don't mean to be I don't mean to be overly online in that assessment. Sometimes I am way too online and you but, but I mean really honestly, like short of getting show hey, probably people were gonna be like, eh, meh. Uh but but they're a they are like factually, I think, a better team than they were five days ago. Yeah, I, I saw a meme online that kind of summed up everything. It was like the fan 
yelling at his, the ball club, like, hey, make a move. Team makes a move. Not that move. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're not going to be happy. You're just not. And whatever you think is going to happen is not going to happen. But number one, they picked up three veterans. What you get from a veteran is not just that leadership presence and they know what they're doing, uh, but it does. They, those guys do not disrupt a clubhouse. They know what it's like to just assimilate in the and be a part of the group. Um, so number one, they have a whole bunch of you know brewers have a whole bunch of rookies, and then you need guys that can kind of come in. They, there's no reason to go get a whole bunch of rookies on another team. It wouldn't make any sense. They have those guys. They need guys that kind of help show what that looks like. And um, I think they did that. I think in you're you're right. Talking about the defense from Santana, he's already made like a dozen plays, several above average plays. Got out of the inning yesterday in the second inning just because he decided to you know, catch a ball from Freelick and then dive and get Abrams at first. So, I mean, there's a lot of veteran moves already going on in what they're doing. And and Canna playing for the Mets, I mean, talk to any of these guys that leave New York, whether it's the Yankees or the Mets. As soon as they leave, they're just like, oh, good, I don't have to deal with this anymore. And they be, almost instantly become better. So look for that to be a thing. And also, I think Chafin, I mean, anytime you can add a left-handed piece in the bullpen, the Reds did the same thing. Reds went and got a left-handed guy that they could – put with Alex Young in the outfield or in the in the end of the bullpen uh because they need you need two left-handed guys. If you want to make a playoff push, you need to have a couple of guys down there that they can bring in. So anyway, I mean it's not the splashiest moves with the biggest headlines possible, but um yes, the Brewers are better now. Just to follow up too like again, I think it's important to look like what did get done in this deadline because it's one thing to say like I want this and this and then it's another to like look at who teams actually traded Mike Petriello from MLB.com did like his rankings of the best move and it's all pitchers until I think number seven um, and it's the Angels getting CJ Crone and Randall Grichuk two players who are on the Brewers radar notably but I don't think uh, I think there were like some some debate about Crone about how much he would help and they think Santana is uh, just a better buy um, especially for what they got him for. So I, I, I do, I just, I would urge people to kind of look at this like from a logical point of view because the trade deadline is emotion and that's what the sellers want. The sellers want that emotion and the frenzy because it leads to these big deals where they get huge returns for two months of players. Um, and I think it, I just looking at things from a GM's point of view can be, I think, really helpful in, in these otherwise pretty emotional couple of days and fun and fun couple of days. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think, you know, when we talked to Matt Arnold and Craig for kind of their feedback on on acquiring these players, I think a couple things stood out was, you know, Matt said, we want to add bats. We know that the offense needs more production and more consistent production. However, you don't want to sacrifice defense. And so I think that was huge in terms of acquiring Carlos Santana uh, Mark Hanna as well, the versatility that he gives them of corner outfield, he can play some first base, he can DH. Um, and then also what Craig said is that it gives him flexibility in terms of the lineups. And so I think that's, those are kind of some big things to take away. And I mean, I agree with you. You can look at, you know, it was, you know, Adam, you know, fans are upset that Cody Bellinger and Nolan Arenado didn't get moved, but those teams were very matter of fact that they were not going to move those players. So I think, you know, Matt and his group, I think they ultimately did what they wanted. Um, and and he said too, you know, the the Andrew Chafin move 
was probably not a move that they would have made. They had to stay aggressive in the relievers market after that injury to Justin Wilson. Really unfortunate for him. Um, the lat injury as he was warming up to come in um, for Atlanta. And, um, you know, another player that I think we should mention is that they traded Luis Arias to the Boston Red Sox um, in exchange for one of the pitching prospects. And that deal went in quite literally at the last minute, Matt Arnold told us, at 4.59 of the deadline. Um, but, you know, Luis, it was just sort of a, an unfortunate end to him with the injuries being a big part of his story at the end. And then just really with the emergence of Andrew Monasterio this season, he just kind of fell down the depth chart. And um, but, but, you know, overall, you know, Craig had some really nice things to say about Luis and his time in Milwaukee. Of He was an impactful player on on some pretty good teams here. Yeah, I'm going to go armchair uh, strength guy and say that Weicho, Luis Arias, had a 23 homer season, and then he got really strong, and then he had a bunch of muscular leg injuries. So, like, if I'm, I have no uh, credibility to do this, but, and no one's asking me, but I will, I think suggesting, you know, maybe, maybe like bulking up wasn't, wasn't great. That's just my two cents that no one asked for. Um, well, you, Fans can't see the video, but Adam is is flexing his bicep as he's yeah. telling the story. <laughs> That's one hundred percent not true. Uh, I uh, th- look. This is about Andrew Monasterio, who who has stepped up uh, this year and and really you know done a nice job for the Brewers when they really needed him and provided a little offense. I don't know that. I think they called him up and thought he could play all over and fill some gaps when they had some injury issues. And he's done much more than that. Um, and he's had some games where he's delivered like. I mean, Tuesday night against the Nats, a, a big hit to get him on the board. Like, he's just had some nice moments. And um, Luis Urias slipped down the board, and, and they really liked the prospect they got. Um, I think I think I saw he was going to slot in at number 15 on our MLB Pipeline Brewers Top 30. So he wasn't on the Boston list, so that obviously was in our stories. But I think he's a guy who's really well regarded coming off um, Tommy John surgery and has a chance to be quite good. Really good curveball. Matt Arnold says Bradley Blaylock. We should say his name, right? A right-hander Bradley Blaylock. So um, yeah, I mean, good luck to Luis Urias. He's still, is he, is he 25? I always say stuff like that and then don't know it, which is like, how do I not know how old Luis Urias is? Luis Urias is still really young, let's say um, for a guy who's been in the league a bunch because he just came up so young. Well, this is good for him. This is good for him. Like it was unfortunate he was injured, but as a as a team, you want somebody to fill in, and Monasterio did that. And guys keep stepping up. So yeah, you kind of get bypassed a little bit. But also with all of this stuff going on, we need to take into account the fact that Matt Arnold did not empty the cupboard. We knew that that's something he didn't want to do. Hey, we may go get this huge name and everyone's happy now, but you're sacrificing the future by giving up so many amazing prospects, which the Brewers do have, and they're going to be coming later. So not only did they add veterans, uh, did they also make some smart moves? Yes, and keeping a lot of their you know, minor league prospects is one of those big moves. Well, let, and, and let's look at what the division, what happened in the division. The, the Reds, as Tim said, made a move for a reliever. That was their, I believe, their loan deal of even like the last couple of days. And the Cubs, uh, really, their their addition was Jamer Candelario, who's a, who's a player a lot of Brewers fans liked on the infield, um, having a really nice season, was having a really nice season for the Nationals. And the cost was two top 20 Cubs prospects. So that just gives you an idea of 
you know, that was a deal that probably was available. And I'm sure the Brewers and Nationals, ex- you know, got to the point of exchanging some names there because that's a guy who did make some sense for the Brewers. And, you know, Matt Arnold said they were his he had to recharge his phone a bunch of times um, in the last couple of days, including a bunch of times on Tuesday alone. Um, but, you know, do you want to give up two top prospects for two months of of an infielder? Um, some people might say yes. The Brewers' answer in this case was no. Well, we will see how this all plays out. And, and you know, Craig made the point, too, of like, you know, the point of the last two months as well is not just that, you know, this is kind of your final opportunity to add to the team, but you hope that other players continue to step up down the stretch. So, you know, you hope that Carlos Santana and Mark Hanna, and we're all looking forward to meeting Andrew Chafin uh, when he joins the team in Milwaukee uh, when they return home for the homestand to play the Pirates, and then the Rockies. So uh, it's the National League wildcard picture is pretty pretty jammed up right now. Um, again, the Brewers, as it stands today, the day after the deadline, half a game out behind the Reds for first place in the division, so they would be a wildcard team if it started today. Um, but there are seven teams in the National League within five games um, of those wildcard spots. So it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch here down August and September. So uh, we got a little bit more to get through here on Brewers Unfiltered. uh, So stick around. We're back on Brewers Unfiltered. Plenty of trade conversation, but, uh, you know, it's been a really good first half for the Brewers and Arguably their most consistent and productive player here this season has been Christian Yelich. He's put together a great season offensively and defensively. He's been in there every day. And we talked about over the All-Star break and and just recently he reached 10 years uh, in the major leagues and the team acknowledged that in a really cool way. So we had the chance to catch up with Christian about all of that. Um, Adam and I sat down with him in Atlanta. And uh, Adam, I thought he was really open and honest, just reflecting on the last 10 years and and also the last six years as a brewer. Um, It's crazy that it's even been that long. (laughs) Um, You know, we all think back to 2018 and obviously so much has happened, but I think Christian was, uh, was really honest talking about really all the things. Yeah, look, we asked him kind of the, the what happened question that I think so many fans ask us whenever we're talking about the Brewers, what happened to Christian Yelich, right, for 2020, 21, and depending on how you look at 22. Uh, But I thought the most, to me, the thing I really took away was him talking about the last six years and putting into context for Brewers franchise history the last six years. Because when I do that, it comes across as homerism. Sophia, Tim, same. If Craig Council says that, it comes off as like excuse-making for not winning the World Series, which obviously everyone wants to do. If if Matt Arnold or, and before him David Stearns talk about it, it, it comes off again as like making excuses for not getting to that finish line. But I think from Yelich, it was really credible, and it really stood out to me as, a, as an interesting part of the conversation about appreciating good seasons for the team when when they come along because they are not a given in this sport well uh let's hear it from christian himself here's our conversation with christian yelich christian we've been talking a lot lately about you getting to 10 years in the show 
And that officially came with your service time over the All-Star break. And I know when you got back to Cincinnati, opened up the second half, um, the shirts, right, the 10 shirts, the the tour stops of the milestones of your career, and then the signed guitar um, signed by all of your teammates. And I know Craig Council and Wade Miley said a lot of nice things when they presented that stuff to you uh, in Cincinnati. So, like, when you think about that, you know, now 10 years um, I think fans probably want to know kind of your thoughts on that, but also why a guitar? I don't know why they went with the guitar, but it was a cool touch. Like it had the Brewers logo, Marlins logo on it, and obviously signed by everybody on the team. Um, I wasn't expecting that. I just figured like, oh, sh- shirts are cool. Like the farthest thing from my mind was that they're actually going to give me something, but it's just cool. I mean, in 10 years is, is pretty special milestone. It's something that I think you hear a lot about that as a player when you first break into the league or before you even in the big leagues. You hear that when you're in pro ball is like 10 years in the big leagues, 10 years in the big leagues. And I didn't realize how few guys actually got it until like you get into the big leagues. You, you realize it's, it's really hard to do. You have to play well for a really long time and you have to be a good player for a long time in order to stick around that long. And to finally get there is a, it's a special feeling. It's something that, you know, for me, I was fortunate enough to kind of know that it was coming just because, you know, uh, hopefully I play a lot longer than 10 years. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to play a little bit longer than that. So uh, <laughs> I knew that it was coming, but to still to still um, reach that milestone is, is, um, is special and just to be a part of that club. Well, the guitar, you picked up the guitar a little bit during the pandemic, right? A little bit. And then I guess I've had some of the artists that have um, played at American Family Field, I've, I've, they've signed some guitars and um, either traded them bat or jersey f- for those. So that's probably why they did it. Um, but yeah, now that I have so many guitars, I think I probably have to, to learn to play a little bit better because people will see them at my house and be like, hey, oh, so you play guitar? I'm like, well, no, but We'll work on it. It's, it might be an off-season thing. I think that's something that you just have to bear down on for a few months, really dedicate some time to it, and, and be able to do it. You know, we were talking, I think just yesterday, about there are certain milestones in the game that I don't think a lot of people know about, like certain years where it's notable. What uh, Did it start at, f- well, three basically is the first one because you get to arbitration. So three is, three, yeah, three is once you're finally arb eligible and you can make some decent money. Um, you know, not that you're not already, but you know, it's just a big milestone for a player. And then I think four is you're able to to keep the insurance, um, through MLB. You can buy into it for the rest of your life. Um, and then six is obviously free agent. Eight is the, the gold card. So you gotta, you gotta whatever baseball game you want the rest of your life, um, for free with your gold card, the lifetime pass. And then tens, obviously, um, it's full pension. So cool milestones along the way. And, you know, obviously each one gets harder and harder to get to as, as the time goes up. What do you wish fans knew about how hard it is to make it through one major league season, let alone 10 of them, and to have achieved like all of the things that you already have? And like you said, hopefully you've got a couple more really good years in front of you. Yeah, I think just to... Just to make it through one major league season and to have a good year, like to have one good year in the big leagues is extremely hard to do. Like 
from start to finish, from opening day till the last day of the season for you to be a productive player over that amount of time and um, have a good season is it's incredibly difficult just because the more time, like the more time you play is obviously the other teams get to know you better and then you have to make adjustments and then you have to have the ability to make those adjustments. And then if you're playing every single day, like um, you play against lefties, you play against righties, um, you're just going out there. And then, you know, obviously you, you play through a lot of things, whether that's, you know, there's different kinds of, um, nicks that you get throughout the year just on your body so you're you're going through all that stuff and then just um mentally to be able to do it every day is is really difficult um and i think people kind of can just take it for granted sometimes of like these guys that go out and have good season after good season after good season it's it's really really hard to do um and it's hard to just pencil somebody in for that you know i think um you know, in a way, I kind of feel for some of these prospects sometimes where you've gotten to know them better as fans. Like, people know, like, these guys are coming and they think they're just going to roll out an eight, 900 OPS right when they get into the big leagues um, just because that's just what they've been built up as and it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> there's, you gotta, there's a, there's a learning curve in the big leagues and it's really hard to play here, especially, um, after you've gotten your feet wet for a little bit and the league kind of adjusts to you. Um, so it's not really a given and you kind of come up with those um, expectations of like, oh, this guy's going to be the next star and you just don't really know. Like, you know, you don't really know and you just have to play the games. And, you know, fortunately for me, like when I first came up, you really didn't know a lot about prospects or not as much as you do now. And so it was just like, oh yeah, this is like a, a new guy. Like there's people obviously know you from being a first round pick, but there wasn't like this same hype that there is now or, um, anything like that. And I was just kind of able to play and you take your ups and downs and you're not expected to be like this superstar level player. Like the day you set foot in the major leagues. Well, let me expound on that Christian, because what, what happened, what your story became is you at 18, 19, these other worldly seasons. And then, like, a big contract to stay here for a long time. Um, and then, you know, we've talked about this a bunch. The, the next couple of years weren't the numbers you wanted to put up. And the question was, because you put up those big numbers, it was, why isn't he doing it automatically every single season? Yeah. So I guess now with, like, a couple of years in the rearview mirror, like, what are your thoughts about, like, how would you answer if a, a fan says, well, what happened to Christian Yelich in 2020 and 21? Um, is it? Is it just baseball? Is it just that this sport is insanely hard? Yeah, I mean it, it's a it's an extremely difficult sport for sure. Um, you know, I kind of knew that I was always going to be measured against those seasons because it's the first two years that I had here. So that's really what people knew was just like that. Um, but it's just not how the game works. You know, it's I'm obviously capable of doing that. Like that's that's in me, but. You know, I, I know that like really probably no matter what I do for the Brewers going forward, like it's always going to be like, well, was it 2018 you or 2019 you? Like um, people are always going to want and expect probably that level of play. Like that's just, it's just what it is. Like you just have to understand that like most of the time people are never going to be happy with what you do. Like they're just not, it's going to be like, well, 
are you 2018 you or are you 2019 you? It's like, I don't know. Like I tell people all the time, like every season's its own season. Like it's this new thing. Like what it's going to be at the end, like you don't really know. Like they can start off good. They can and then not end up good. They could start off poorly and end up good. Like you just don't know that you have to play the seasons. And I think I've learned that over the years. Um, and to have a season like that to where you're an MVP, like so many things have to go right. Like you have to stay healthy. You have to feel good physically. Like you have to be in good spots, you know, and I still think I'm capable of playing at that level. Um, you know, whether it's a thousand or 1100 OPS, I don't know, but I still think I'm capable of being a, a good player. And I don't think you're measuring stick for whether it's a good year or not. Personally, I, I don't think my measuring stick is like, do I have a thousand OPS? Like, um, does that mean I had a good year? And is like, everybody okay with that? Like, I don't know. And you kind of have to get to the point, like, obviously I heard everything that people say after those seasons, you know, like you'd, you'd have to live under a rock to not hear them, you know? Um, it is what it is. Like, you just have to, for me, it personally got to the point where I just like stopped caring. Like, I don't care what people have to say or people think. Um, I realize people are always going to have an opinion. They're entitled to that. It comes with the territory of being a professional athlete, but like, I know that I prepare the best I can. I know that I work hard every day. I know that I want to do well and win every night. And like, that's really all you can control is like, you have to worry about the things that you can control. And if you know that you're doing everything you can to be successful, then what happens after that? Like, happens like obviously you want it to go well and you want the results to be there but a lot of times in baseball like you just can't control them like you could have really good at bats one night and literally get no hits or you could have five terrible at bats and go four for five and everyone's like oh that's a great night and you know you know at night you're like oh, that was terrible that i got i got away with it but um you know i think i, I still am capable of being um a really good player and I think it's just evolving as your career goes and you try to try to learn and I've learned a lot from those years where things didn't go well um you know I learned a lot as, as a player as a teammate as um you know just as a baseball player so I'm, I'm not I'm I don't regret that those happened I think that I learned from it and became better because of it and you know, we'll see what happens. And I, I don't even think I was terrible that year, but I just was those years. I just wasn't really what I set the, I set the standard as. And, you know, if that's going to be the problem, then that, that's the problem. It's a good problem to have if, if your standards are seven more seasons. So we'll take it. <laughs> well, I think that's just a really mature approach. And I think knowing you now for in your sixth season here, we've, we've gotten to know you well and you're, such an honest evaluator. I think maybe sometimes too harsh on yourself. We've we've talked about that because of the standard that you've set for yourself. And and I know you always hold yourself to such a high standard. And we were talking the other day, it was, you know, the 10 year anniversary of your debut. And then for Sal, it's day two, right? Day two of his career. And so I'm just wondering, like you you brought up the prospects and like the hype that's on them. And we've had eight major league debuts this season. Like, are there things that you feel like you've learned that through time, like now 10 years later, and like how you can help these guys navigate that with everything that you've been through? Yeah. I mean, I remember being in his shoes for sure. Um, would I want to start that whole journey over again? <laughs> Probably not. You know, there's a, 
it's been a really, it's a, it's been a great 10 years. Don't get me wrong. It's been, uh, you know, I've, I've had some things happen in my career that I, I've probably never dreamed of. And I've had a, a better career than I, I maybe, you know, you could ever really hope for as a baseball player. Um, but man, it's hard, you know, there's a, it's a, it's a hard road and they're, you know, talking to the team after they presented me with all my stuff for 10 years was like, you know, there's, there's a lot of really, I've had a lot of really great nights in this game. I've had a lot of really long nights in this game um, and everywhere in between. And it just, you learn a lot through all that stuff. Like you learn through success, you learn through failure and um, you can kind of see all those steps and like all these guys that are, are coming up and just try and help them navigate it as best as possible and just watch them and let them play. You know, I haven't, I don't really, I haven't really t- talked to them much about things until they've really come to talk to me about it. Um, you know, I feel like I'm pretty approachable, like, you know, pretty laid back guy. And, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, said it that way. Cause I have spoken to them about things, but you kind of just let them, you have to let guys play and you have to let them experience things and you have to let them succeed and fail and go through all the things that come with being a young player in the big leagues. Cause it's, it's difficult. And it's, it's a lot of firsts. Like every stadium you go to is a first or, you know, you try to replicate it as best you can in the minor leagues, but you can't. And especially when you come to a team in the big leagues that's trying to win for the first time, you know, because it's it's really important. Because yes, you're trying to get your feet wet as a young player, but the team's also trying to win. So like your leash is probably a little bit shorter than mine was when I was with the Marlins because we just weren't trying to win when I got called up in 2013. Like we lost 100 games. So my environment and my you know the stresses and pressures that go into those games, you know are a lot different than these guys are going to be playing in in August and September when, you know, the playoffs are probably going to be decided by a game or two, like they always are, and each game matters. And, um, you know, the stresses and pressures for young players are all all really the same. You know, you want to succeed in the big leagues, you want to stay in the big leagues, and that's where a lot of your, you know, stress and anxiety comes from on the day-to-day basis is wanting to stay here so badly. But worrying about that doesn't really contribute to it like you just have to keep trying to get better and 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 learn as much as you can and not have to worry about if am I going to be here the next day because it doesn't help like it's a factor and you have to acknowledge that it's there but at the same time you have to ignore it in a way because it's not going to do any good if if every night you don't get a hit you're like oh you know is this going to be like going back down and that's kind of how I was was like I just never wanted to go back but it happens as a young player, like, you know, you might not even be your fault. It could just be the numbers game and you have options and you're the guy that goes. So, um, it's all kind of part of it and just trying to, it, it's cool in a way for me because I got to watch these guys, you know, you live out their dream for the first time and you kind of remember what that was like for you and just like your first couple of times through the league. So it's been special and it's been fun to watch. You know, we're sitting here in Atlanta and it strikes me like I've been around, been fortunate to cover baseball for a little while and the coolest day of my entire career was here sitting with Hank Aaron to do a long interview with him for this little book project I did that I never mentioned. Um, it was the cool, it was the best day on the job for me. What, what for you, if anything, like, you know, post MB, whether it's at a baseball field or something that you did after winning MVP away, were you like, oh my God, I cannot believe that this is happening to me. Yeah, I've got. I've been fortunate enough to meet Hank a few times through 
the Hank Aaron Award, which we kind of talked about before we got on this thing, which was a really, really cool experience. And um, I don't know. I mean, for me, like winning the MVP was really kind of a wild experience. Um, I don't think I ever thought that was something that was going to happen in my career. I don't know why I thought that. It just it just never really crossed my mind. It wasn't because I didn't think I was capable of it. It just like just never really thought about it. And then it was kind of happening in 2018, where I was like, by the end of that season, I was I pretty much knew that I, I'd won the MVP, which was a pretty weird experience, you know. <laughs> as all that was happening, like all that whole year, I think as that year was happening, was um, a lot of it was just so for lack of a better word, like just weird to me, like how all that was happening. And just like every night, it seemed like it was a new thing. And yeah, I don't even know how to really describe it. Cause that whole year changed my life. Basically. Um, those two years really like my life's completely different now than it was really before those two years. Um, and it all happened so quickly. And I think people lose sight of that sometimes. Like they see people as like athletes and they see you as like an athlete on, on TV or they go to a game, but like you're a real person too. Like that's a really weird life experience. It's a cool one for sure, but it's just a strange life experience to when like that's what your life becomes and you have full stadiums chanting like MVP every time you do something or going wild and we won the division in a game 163 playoff game and, um, you know, it's just a, we were a game away from the world's, you know, eight innings away from a World Series appearance and just crazy stuff, man. And it was, uh, you know, it's definitely my favorite year of baseball. You know, I think that's probably my, so far, you know, hopefully there's a, more along down the road where maybe give that one a run for its money. But so far that's been my favorite year and um, it's pretty special experiences and I try to enjoy them as much as possible, honestly. Like, and doing that whole deal and, yeah, it was just, just a special time. I still don't really know how to like put it all into words, um, but really cool experiences and things that it doesn't feel like it was really five years ago or whatever it was. No, but you are right. I mean, it was, there are very few things in life that are truly life-changing. That's one of them. And there's nothing to prepare you for that. It's like, if I don't mess this up, I guess it could potentially change your life. <laughs> that monthly, like I was, you know, and just while it was happening, like you kind of knew it was happening while it was happening, if that makes sense. And it's just, yeah, it's just a really unique experience. And um, I talked to Bronny about it a lot because obviously he went through it a little bit, but um, while it was happening, it was kind of just like, yeah, this is in the process of happening and you're just living in the moment and just trying to be like as focused and as locked in as you could be every day, which is still the case, but um. yeah it's just those days were just pretty special ones Um, just everything with the team and personally like all kind of just like lining up at the same time Um, and just being like first year with a new team that whole deal and getting back to the playoffs for the first time in a few years and just all of it was was pretty good timing and just a really really cool experience yeah I mean game 163 in particular like there was so much happening so fast for everyone, including us covering the team at that time where you're trying to figure out where am I going tomorrow? And sometimes I think it, because it ended disappointingly for everyone in game seven of the NLCS, it's almost like no one got a chance to appreciate 
how incredible some of the things along the way were. Game 163, Moose's walk-off in the division series, you know, sweeping the Rockies. Just so much stuff happened in a short period of time. And then because it ended on a down, it was like, okay, that's over. <laughs> and it's like you didn't even get to process it, really. It's not even that year. And I want to say I want to say it like the right way so I don't, you know, misspeak when I say this here. But I think it's like, I think what this team's done in the last like five to six years, it shouldn't be taken for granted and it should be, it should be appreciated. Um, you know, I know everybody wants to win a world series like us included, you know, but this run and this run of competitiveness that this team has been on, it, it hasn't really happened here like this before. Um, you know, and we've had, we've had good times and bad times, but we've had a lot of really, really, really good players come through here all at the same time and things that guys are doing and, um, individually and, and team wise is, is pretty special and hopefully it continues that way. And you can kind of extend this, this stretch for as long as you can, but you really don't know. Um, and it's been, it's just been really fun to be a part of these teams for this organization because winning, winning in this league is extremely hard. Like to win one game in the major leagues is very, very hard, let alone to be on a team that does it year after year after year. Um, and it's with a lot of the same guys, but it's also not with a lot of the same guys. Like there's a lot of interchangeable pieces every year and a lot of turnover and to still be competitive, to still be in the division race every year, late into the season. Um, there's something to be said for that. And it, it, it's something that it's not easy to do. Counts is obviously a big part of it, but, um, you know, this, this group's been together now for five, six years and it's still been competitive every year and um you know there's only a few teams in baseball that have really done that and we've been one of them and it it there's been frustrating times for sure but for the most part like we've been we've been pretty good and a lot has to go into a, a lot of things go into winning the world series and and hopefully we can we can do that one year it's obviously everybody's goal but at the same time it's a it's a special era of brewers baseball i feel like and it's it's been a lot of really good teams and um I think they should be appreciated in a way. Not that they're not, but you you just don't know how long it'll it'll go for. Um, and like I said, hopefully it extends years past now, and we're we're competitive every year. And I know that's um, Mark's goal and Matt's goal and, and Council's goal and my goal. But you just never know. Like every year, it's some thing, and um, you know things have to go right every year for you to be competitive and good too. So. We've been fortunate to do that, and hopefully this is a, another playoff-caliber team. Well, I mean, along those lines, we've been joking that Wade is like an assistant GM right now while he's on the IL, especially um, offering his services, let's say, as we get closer to the trade deadline. You guys all know what's going on, right? Like, you have you guys know, you know, names that are out there. How much do you personally um, get into that? Do you not want to know? Are you part of those conversations? I think fans would, because obviously you're very invested in the future of not just this season, but beyond. So I think fans would probably want to know, like, do you have input? Do they ask for your feedback? Um, do you want to have feedback on that? Do you, you know, Wade's sort of taken over, but I think they probably want to hear if uh, Christian's out there being an armchair GM. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have as much of an, an impact as people probably think, um, occasionally they'll ask, you know, 
get get asked your opinion on on a guy or um this person over that person or what do you think about so-and-so and like you can give them your opinion but at the end of the day like they have their way of evaluating players based on value and future value and value that they're giving up to get that player and um those conversations are obviously way over my head and I don't I don't know how they make those decisions like I don't know what goes into whether it's a it's a good trade or a bad trade or maybe it's a bad trade on paper but it's a good trade for now because we need now um or you're going for the future and you know that stuff it gets really complicated it it's uh you know, I think as you are around longer in the league, you realize it's more than just like this guy for this guy. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. And, um, you know, we don't really have a say in players, whether that, that move gets gets made or not. I think um, at this time of the year, you kind of know there's going to be changes within the roster, especially when you're on a good team. Um, you know, some additions. You know, I've been on teams also where, you know, there's going to be subtractions and you're going to lose some teammates in the next couple of days. But it's just all part of the game and you know I think everybody has the the best in mind I think players are always more focused on the now because a lot of guys is just now you know they they're not really they know they're not going to be around for the future so they don't necessarily care about it um whether that's because they're a free agent you know or or whatever like they're like I don't care what happens in in three years with this prospect, like if it's the least of my worries, um, as a player, you know, like I want, I want to win now, which is obviously everyone, everyone who's a player is always going to be more geared towards like now, but you know, people that make those decisions, front office ownership, they're always looking for the now and the future. So they have to make, um, sensible decisions, but also, um, you realize that when you're in a position to win, you need to take advantage of it because nothing's guaranteed, you know, you can the future, the future, the future, but nothing's ever guaranteed in the future. You don't know what you're going to get out of uh, young players and prospects sometimes. You don't know if the team's going to be in a position to be competitive because other teams in the league slash division can have great years and run away with it or or health things happen to where um, it makes it tougher on the team. So I think whenever you're in positions to win and have a chance to win, you should try and take advantage of them as much as you can. Well, the Christian Yelich trade wasn't a trade deadline deal, but it was definitely a it was a deal for now and later from the Brewers' point of view. What are your clearest memories of that day? I had a feeling I was going to get traded, but then also didn't really know if I was going to get traded because it seemed like I wasn't going to because it, it was something that had been kind of going on all offseason and it was the offseason was winding down, actually. So I was like, I, I guess I'm not getting traded. Like, who knows? Like, I was preparing to go to spring training with the Marlins in like a week, two weeks maybe it was. And then got a bunch of calls and got told I wasn't going to spring training with the Marlins anymore. I was going to go to the, I was going to spring training in Arizona with the Brewers. Um, I think it's a weird feeling the first time you get traded. Uh, the Brewers were actually one of the teams where I just really didn't know anybody on the team, just aside from playing against them and maybe having like a quick conversation on the field or something. But as far as like having friends or people that I knew on the team, like I knew nobody. So, uh, and they were a really young team at the time, like all these guys that are, established players now here were kind of rookies at the time or, or just getting their feet wet in the big leagues and um and some of them are been retired for a while too so it was just weird having to make all new friends and you're going to a new team for the first time spring training in a different state and then all i'd ever really known was the marlins and 
that one organization. So you, you kind of are starting over in a sense, but I was excited. I, you know, I think, um, it was just a, it was just a nice change of scenery and a fresh start. And, um, with the, with the great organization, the council was awesome right away. And, um, I knew Mike Athanasia a little bit from high school. We had mutual like high school friends. So the brewers weren't like entirely foreign to me. Um, but it worked out great. And I, I think it's, it's gone better than I would have hoped. And, you know, maybe they would have even hoped as well. So we'll see how, how it goes here in the future. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up with you here, Christian. But my favorite part is the flight that you took, like hours after the trade. You get a call after the trade, after, and you're still processing that you're now a Milwaukee Brewer. And it's the end of January. And they say, oh, by the way, Brewers on deck is tomorrow. <laughs> Do you want to go? And I think the story is so great because here you are, you're brand new to the organization and you take the most epic plane ride, maybe in Brewers history, um, to Milwaukee for Brewers on deck. And then like the welcome that you got. I just remember there was, we've gone to a couple of these now and knowing that it was fresh off of your trade and Lorenzo Kane signing his five-year deal the very same day. Can you share the story about being on the plane to going to Milwaukee for the first time? Yeah, well, Mark Mark was going to Milwaukee, I think it was the next day, and they asked if I wanted to come to fan, the, 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 the Fan Fest, and they're like, you don't have to. Like, we, if you don't go, like we, we understand. Like, you got to get a lot of things in order. Stuff's happening pretty quickly, but if you'd like to go, like, Mark's plane's leaving at this time. Like, you should get, go there. I was like, yeah, I'll go. Like, I think it'd be good to just meet everybody before going to to spring training, you know, and I didn't really know who was on the plane. Like I knew, I knew Mike was going to be there. Mark was there. Um, Bronny was there, which I actually didn't even know Bronny. That was the first time I'd actually met him was that, that morning. Um, so I talked to him a bunch on, on, on the plane and then we stopped in Arizona and got, uh, Yuke and Yount actually. <laughs> so it was all of us on the plane, um, going to Milwaukee. And I remember just thinking like how strange it was that I was actually on this plane right now. Like how did how did this happen? Like two days ago, I was on the Marlins still. And like, now I'm going to Brewers fan. Like, I think that was another moment where like life happens fast kind of type deal. And everything was just kind of spinning. And I was like, all right, like, here we go. Like, let's see what this, this chapter holds. And just getting to talk to you and Robin on the plane, um, there and back. Cause when we dropped them off in Arizona on the way back to California and, um, obviously great people and super fun to be around but i just remember how how weird i was like I'm, this this is so weird <laughs> like the, the whole time thinking like i don't know what's happening right now but okay cool and then a week later we were in, back in spring training and uh, we were off and running ever since well i have one more i want to finish with one thing because i've never been able to ask you this to circle back to the idea of critics did you ever meet or hear from Roxanne of Relax Roxanne fame after her famous tweet? Uh, I've never, I've never met whoever that was. Um, there's no telling who that was. Like Roxanne may very well be a fictional character, and it could be, <laughs> it could be somebody else. But whoever it was is extremely disappointed about the body issue. <laughs> Not happy about that. Um, but I've, I've been on record saying it's one of my favorite things I've ever done. So I, you know, no regrets. All right, Christian, thanks so much for the time. Uh, we appreciate just like your time and your honesty and going down memory lane with us for 10 years on the show. So thanks for joining us on Brewers Unfiltered. 
We hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christian. Hope you uh, learned a little bit more about his journey and, and all of the things that have happened for him and his time with the Brewers over the last six seasons and obviously hoping for a lot more uh, memorable moments like some of the ones that he, he talked about there and, and hopefully a lot more success for this Brewers team as well. So thanks for listening to Brewers Unfiltered. Of course, you can keep following along with us on our uh, social platforms and make sure you're following at Brewers on all of their social platforms. So we'll be back next week with Brewers Unfiltered. Unfiltered.